Uh, so uh, good afternoon to you in Florida, and still morning here in Los Angeles. Yeah, well, I like uh, like I said, if I was there, I'd bring you coffee. Well, I just made a fresh cup. Thank you. So you and I, I think the last time we actually spent time together was in France. I think we were at the uh, Le Column d'Or restaurant in St. Paul du Vance. Yes, and I, quite a few years ago. Yeah, and I, and I, I remember that that uh, that dinner we had uh, like it was yesterday because I haven't eaten, I, I haven't, I haven't ordered rabbit on the menu since because I, re- <laughs> I don't know if you remember Peter, but I, I literally they they had this rabbit special and I said yeah that I, I'll have that and um, a little time went by maybe a couple of minutes and then you took your fingers and you did ears on the top of your head and you just kept doing it and I looked at you I said it's the rabbit isn't it you said yeah and I said uh, excuse me uh, waiter um, I'd like to cancel the rabbit <laughs> I it's funny of of, of all the uh, the different things I eat it's uh, rabbit really uh, you know I tried it once I, I I couldn't couldn't get through one or two bites um, you know, probably tastes like chicken for all I know. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, <laughs> it does. <laughs> but, but you know, I've actually told that story many times where someone will order rabbit and I'll, I'll, I'll do to them what you did to me. And, and then it'll, it'll start that discussion of the dinner meeting you and I had in, in France. Well, and they, well, I, and they, I, I wind up that, not ordering it. <laughs> I hope that whatever, whatever you ordered instead uh, was still delicious. I, I think it was um, like the vegetarians like to say it was probably it's probably something that some food that did not have a mother. <laughs> well, sorry about that. Well, and and, and the the other thing I was going to uh, mention to you is you know we we both grew up in South Jersey, uh, and uh, uh, my dad uh, lived in Tom's River, which wasn't too far from where you grew up. Um, Tom's River. Yeah, and um, you know, I know that you know I I I followed your career over the years, and um, especially early on. If if you don't mind, we can start there. I know your your father was very very supportive of you becoming a musician, which was kind of interesting uh, from a a dad who was a physician. Um, Tell me about that experience that took you at at such a young age to literally what I've learned, hung out with campers that are, are some of the, the greatest jazz artists today? Well, um, he was a, uh, was a physician. He uh, became a psychiatrist by the time I was uh, born. Uh, but before that, he was a bass player. Mm-hmm. And Playing the bass was how he uh, paid his way through through college and medical school. He had a band uh, that he called Fred Erskine and his Music for Moderns. <laughs> so you know he was he was uh, he was into jazz, and uh, I'm certain that he wanted uh, all four of his children to. Uh, to discover music and 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 have it be a an important part of their lives, uh, so everyone, you know, took lessons. But I, I seem to be the one that that 
was the most interested and, mm-hmm. and um, I've said before that the, the little drum set that he fashioned for me out of a conga drum and a sizzle cymbal, a very small sizzle cymbal uh, these two items function not only as a drum set but, but also as a sort of compass <laughs> um, so I you know I it, as far back as I can remember Michael I you know this is what this is what I knew I would be doing for the rest of my life um, and I'm 62 now so it's been quite a few years I've been playing the drums and I'm just beginning to to get to the comfort level with the instrument that that I long kind of dreamt about <laughs> um, and that's that's not a that's 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 not a, a, a bit of, of false modesty or something it uh, you know I've always loved playing the drums but it's it's just recently that um, uh, that I've, uh, I've been able to feel such a uh, how should I put it? Uh, effortless is maybe not the right word, but but it's it's what comes to mind. It's kind of effortless connection to the instrument. Yeah, and do you think it's it's because you know with with age with maturity, you kind of found your center. Undoubtedly, I mean, and and that's that's a process that that truly began once. Uh, once I was married and started raising a family, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I, I think just you know you get enough uh, uh, flying hours mm-hmm. under your belt, and after a while, you 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 really do know how to how to land the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know it, it's funny because I you know I like your dad. I'm a physician, and. Um, uh, I want my kids to be involved in music, but I, I don't think of them as as becoming professional uh, musicians. Um, I want music to be part of their lives because I I've seen in my almost sixty years how enriching it is for your life, and I don't want them to miss out on that. Um, it, it it does. There, there's a, a a major leap from someone who can appreciate music and even as a player to commit their professional life the way you did uh in in such a way well you uh you've given uh, you know your children a great gift by by orienting um their upbringing like that and uh in fact you're quite similar to my dad in, in that he i think his master plan he was hoping that i would also become a psychiatrist and be a <laughs> jazz musician um, let's say along the lines of Denny Zeitlin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And my father used to he said, "Look, you know, Denny Zeitlin has a great career playing jazz piano, but he's a doctor." And and, and my father wanted me to go to medical school. Um, <laughs> when uh, when I was going to high school up at the Interlochen Arts Academy, uh, which was like a, you know an answer from 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 heaven or a gift from the gods to be able to leave the small town in New Jersey that only had a marching band in the high school program to this high school in the middle of the country, albeit very far north, uh, but had a symphony orchestra, percussion ensemble, concert band, jazz band. Uh, and and every student there was just like me, you know, 
mm-hmm. uh, instead of being the oddball, uh, which was okay in junior high school, you know, to be the little musical celebrity. But uh, anyway, the, uh, the the high school had a uh, an accelerated three year program, and. My father was was satisfied with my educational ambitions when, when I got out of high school early with the stated objective of uh, of starting my college career at Indiana University. You know that one year earlier, so I could get my 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 Doctor of Music degree. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be a doctor one way or the other. <laughs> uh, you know, and then uh, as soon as I finished that first year of of college, and I just turned 18, um, I got the chance to go on the road with Stan Kenton, and, and I became a, a college dropout. So, uh, I, I did eventually uh, get the doctorate, uh, uh, an honorary degree from, from Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, and to be honest, even though it's an honorary degree from Berkeley, I, I think between you and me, it was an honorary degree thanks to Gary Burton, <laughs> who I think was the sole member of the committee that decided that stuff back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now, speaking of Gary, um, you know, the story that I've heard is that Gary and Randy Brecker and, and Sanborn and Keith Jarrett, they were all fellow campers with you during these music camps that you would go to as a, you know, before the age of 10. Oh, yeah. So... So my first camp, uh, uh, my mom and, and drum teacher, John Severa, C-I-V-E-R-A, mm-hmm. they, uh, they applied to this National Stage Band camp. But of course, you couldn't call it a jazz camp back in the late 50s or early 60s. The very first National Stage Band camp was in 1959 on the campus of Michigan State University. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in 1960 they uh, they held a camp uh, in Bloomington, Indiana. So I went to the the 1961 camp. I just turned seven by the time I got there. Uh, there was a uh, there was a, a bit of a lapse in in communication, and they didn't realize, or someone didn't realize, uh, that I wasn't the minimum required age. I wasn't 14 years old, and so. You know, they, they they were a little bit shocked when when we arrived, but luckily someone had a sense of compassion. Like, well, these folks just drove from New Jersey to Indiana, um, and keep in mind this is before the interstate highway system was nearly complete. Sure, back roads. Yeah, I mean Wheeling, West Virginia. Wow, I still wow. <laughs> so you've not recovered from that. <laughs> no, not, it's traumatic sitting in the back seat of the car. I might have been in the front seat. Anyway, um, so they, they, uh, uh, it was arranged that I would play personally for Stan that first night of the camp, the arrival day. Um, Stan was savvy enough to, uh, to have a photographer from the local newspaper come to this audition. I think he'd already made up my mind if I could play the drums at all, I'd be allowed to stay. And uh, indeed... Uh, my photo appeared in in uh, newspapers and, and, and on wire services. Mm-hmm. The youngest student at this camp. Um, thus began my association with Stan Kenton. Uh, so you know, I'm barely old enough to 
to go on the road, and he invites me into his band. Again, uh, I think for press-savvy reasons as much as anything else, the, the Kenton audience was, uh, we played a lot of schools, and young kids dug it that here was this long-haired drummer uh, that they could identify with that's, that's playing with this big band with, that had a lot of older people on it. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Stan was quite upset when I cut my hair for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Which surprised me because he was such a conservative. Anyway, um, so at this first camp, when I when I look look at the photo, now, now Gary Burton had been at the previous camps, but that's all anyone could talk about was his vibraphone player, mm-hmm. uh, Gary Burton. Uh, but uh, uh, in this photo, you can see Keith Jarrett, Don Grolnick, David Sanborn, Lou Marini Jr., Jim McNeely, uh, Randy Brecker. I don't, I'm not sure if he was at that camp. I know he was at the 1962 camp. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of names that. That jazz's readers will, of course, recognize. Um, this became the jazz fix for young musicians, and and it was a key part of of getting jazz into schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I did it for quite a few summers. Uh, eventually, uh, uh, a camp began to take place. Uh, it was held in uh, in Connecticut in stores, S T O R R S, City of Connecticut. Um, and I mean, the instructors were incredible. Alan Dawson, Ron Carter, Jimmy Garrison, Ray Santisi, a lot of the Berkeley faculty mm-hmm. at that camp. Um, Oliver Nelson. To to be around these people, let alone these heroes. I mean, these these were the names and the 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 men who were making all the albums that I spent hours every day listening to and looking at the photos um, and and they all were so uh, giving you know in terms of, of, of like kind of paying it forward uh, mm-hmm. providing information that uh, it it's well, it's it's the way I've known almost all the great jazz musicians to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the way they are, and and certainly drummers. Uh, you know, they they love to share the knowledge and and the passion and the enthusiasm. Um, jazz musicians, some do it uh, uh, more gently or gracefully than others, but but it is about uh, passing the, the the craft and and the passion down to the next generation or generations of players and, and you know the the thing that i find fascinating about about as I, as i followed you over the years is you know it's clear when you talk about music certainly so many instructional uh videos and sort of in the academic area that you've been involved in you're an academic but you're far from being a purist uh, a tourist or a purist uh, <laughs> uh, no, in the uh, in the sense of uh, pure jazz, um, oh. you're you're not a purist, and and yet sometimes that's when academicians tend to lean more 
purist, and you go in the other direction. Um, you know, I I'll be honest, Michael. I never thought of that, um, because you know I was very lucky to just uh, circumstance had it uh, you know to be born in 1954, and uh, recorded music just seemed to be going through such a fascinating uh, uh, not only period of development but almost you know a spasm mm -hmm. of of, uh, of creativity um, almost the birth of uh, album oriented repertoire yeah, exactly and 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 you had then of course the Beatles came along I was more of an R&B guy when the Beatles mm -hmm. came around mm -hmm. but I liked the Beatles Mm -hmm. and I, I I I liked the melodies, and I loved the the, the sophisticated simplicity of what they did. I, I have to admit, I was a bit of a jazz snob, and I and I would wonder, like you know, I'd see the Doors on Ed Sullivan, and I think, why would they sound like an Elvin was playing with? Them? <laughs> 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 but um, of course, I I came to understand and appreciate uh, just how perfect the drummer Ringo was for the Beatles and how perfect a drummer John Densmore was for the Doors. Um, and, you know, I've, I, at, at one of these camps, the uh, composer and arranger Johnny Richards mm -hmm. uh, was, was working with the Kenton Band. He was one of the teachers, and, and he led a student band. Uh, uh, Johnny... Uh, was responsible for writing the arrangements of, of the, the Kenton West Side Story album, and he composed the Cuban Fire Suite, Adventures in Time, uh, and then and he had his own big band in New York. Mm -hmm. So Johnny cuts a, a dashing figure, it's, it's very sh or striking figure, I should say, uh, a bald-headed uh, uh, gentleman uh, with, with some girth and heft, um, and his wife used to make him these outlandish kind of like ponchos, but they, they were sort of like dashikis before dashikis <laughs> being. Um, so he's a, he was just, wow, this guy's wild, and the music was it's very difficult to play and, and challenging to listen to, but I was a big fan. Anyway, uh, a remarkably gentle man, uh, despite this first impression you might get from his appearance. Mm -hmm. And he, he knelt down at the end of one of these camps, and I would always be a sobbing, crying mess because I just didn't want to say goodbye to, to any of these people. At the end of the week, I'd just fall in love with everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and and he, he really started it. He, he, uh, he knelt down near the end of the final concert and embraced me, put a hand on each shoulder, and he looked me in the eye, so he's eye level. Um, that's the kind of people these people were. They would, they would talk to you at eye level. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, yes. Yeah. He said, uh, "Peter, be sure to listen to every kind of music." So I took that as a as almost like directions from God. I mean, you know, that was <laughs> uh, okay. Um, and I already was interested in. And lots of different things. So uh, that just kept me on that path of of, of seeking out um, 
music from from all over the world and and trying to understand and and of course that feeds your your passion for it and so i've i found that um one genre let's say or or playing experience would inform the next mm-hmm. so as simple as that uh, sorry to put it in so many words uh, no, but that that really, to me, <clears throat> and I think to listeners and our readers, explains the connection between Jan Garbrecht, Weather Report, and Steely Dan's Hey 19. Exactly, and, and um, you know, like Manfred, Manfred Eicher, when, when, by the way, that, that new four-box set is just coming out, which I'm so pleased to see. Yeah, yeah, in uh, fact, I wanted to talk see- about that in a minute. But but Manfred was was quite concerned when I was working with him. Uh, you know, we, we did over a dozen recordings uh, in collaboration. Um, he had extreme reservations about my my doing other kind of recordings, whether it was playing on a on a GRP album um, or. Uh, the, the, the Steely Dan tour was a good example. And you mentioned Garbrecht. I mean, Miroslav uh, uh, thought it unforgivable that <laughs> I was doing that. And I asked for his blessing because I wanted the guys to still be cool. And he said, you're asking my blessings? No. You know? uh, and and then on the, uh, you know, uh, I'm in New York minding my own business. I talk about this in my book, No Beethoven. I'm walking down the street and some guys go, hey, Peter Erskine, right? And I, Hey, fellas, you know, a couple of young guys with gig bags. And one of them says, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he comes up and he goes, what the fuck are you doing playing on a David Benoit record? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, I, I, I pay the bills, uh, guys. But, you know, um, I, I became a better ECM drummer for having played on a David Benoit record sure. um, and and Manfred didn't want to try to understand that or accept it um, but I know it to be true the the in other words what I was seeking out Michael and all these different experiences was a, in my own circuitous way to try to get a better understanding of the craft of making music mm-hmm. and and so I don't really uh, have like a dichotomy where um, this is art and this is not. So for me, it's all become it's all art. Whatever the purpose is, art doesn't mean that um, I have to overplay or I have to do this or do that. Uh, and the variety keeps keeps the dullness from setting in. I never, mm-hmm. I feel so lucky because I'm, I'm never like uh, resentful of a piece of music I'm playing or envious of what someone else is playing. Mm-hmm. I can look around, admire it, and if I want to do it, I'll, I'll try it. I, uh, you know, I, I, passion is a good thing. Envy is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I, I just, I feel like passion is, is definitely the, the overriding thing, as well as the quest to learn. I mean, I think most teachers would probably admit that the reason they like to teach is that it 
that's how they learn. Um, and and my father was 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 a was a terrific example too. I mean, he liked he liked teaching, and I liked watching him teach. Not just me, but my friends and stuff, and or my siblings. So, yeah, you know. I I think the 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 acti- Well, you know, as a physician, it's a as I'm sure you saw in your father, the you know you're constantly learning, uh, and, and the way you get better, it's no different than you know. I'm only assuming since I'm I'm the self-proclaimed worst guitarist in the world, but the the you you absolutely learn as you teach, and that's the way you get better. And yeah, I mean, as a physician, you uh, men and women, doctors can't you can't stop learning, right? I mean, you, yeah. You would be derelict in in, in your responsibility, and yeah. and and you know I'm I'm not as good at, at, at keeping up as, as I was when I was younger. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have my finger on the pulse of so um, that I think that's uh, there are some some jazzers. Uh, I mean Herbie would be a great example, but but Herbie is so far. <laughs> above most mortals yeah uh, but herbie herbie has has the ears and somehow the ability to keep current i i feel like mm, you know i'm trying to but I, I some of the newer stuff i'm not quite hearing and and that's why well, i you know i want to i want to i want to stay open minded but i also uh uh at this stage of my life, I kind of just want to listen to and enjoy the music I enjoy listening to. And what's interesting is, as I'm getting older, I'm I'm actually going further back. I'm I'm really beginning to understand older music. Yeah. Not understand it intellectually, just like understand it in terms of how to enjoy it. I don't appreciate. It. I had a conversation the other day with Tommy Lapuma, and uh, he said the exact same thing. He said, you know, is is odd as it may sound. I am so enjoying going back and listening to things that I didn't carefully listen to back in my earlier days. Interesting. And I'm appreciating it at a different level. And I think that's what happens. I mean, there's no doubt about it. With your experience with the, what, 500 plus albums you've been on? 700. Um, 700 now. Jeez. Yeah. So, so you can go back and listen to things maybe differently than you would have 25 years ago. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I... I don't listen too much to myself. Although I had an interesting experience, without going into details, I I was speaking with a writer, and I, I was talking about this just the worst album experience. I played so horribly, and I when I saw the arranger years later, I apologized, and and he was just being a gentleman because he said, "I'm I'm not sure what you're talking about," but and I said, "I felt like I really let you down," and blah blah blah. So this guy goes, "Okay, I got to hear it." I said, "No, I I never play it for you." And they said, "No, come on." You've talked about it so much. Find a record. Let's listen to it. Oh my God! Okay, so I I find it and I put it on, and we're listening. And then we both kind of looked at each other and went, "Hey, you know what? It actually sounds pretty okay." <laughs> <laughs> that's not so not bad. bad. Said, no, that's actually pretty good. Holy cow! Um, so we tend to be uh, either our, our biggest. Uh, Biggest fans are our own worst critics. Usually, our own worst critics. Um, and 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 now I, I seem to have a better handle on. Maybe maybe that's why the playing seems 
easier because I'm I'm just not second guessing it so much, and I'm also not worrying about what kind of impression I'm making on someone. That's such a uh, a detour, a musical detour, and and and. Uh, 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 a uh, what's the word? Medical. I'm looking for a medical term. Um, uh, well, a, a distraction. A distraction. That's not medical enough, Michael. Oh, okay. Hi. That's uh, something. So it's almost a, a, a neurotic. Oh, okay. So you're, you're talking now. You're going back to your dad. You're you're going psychiatric on me. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, you get a neurotic anxiety about. Uh, how am I doing? Does the musician I'm, I'm working with, does he or she like my playing? Uh, the the well, person, guess, the, the, the musician that just walked into the, in, into the room, uh, do they like me? Um, and I finally, I finally realized two things. One is that it, if someone's listening to you, it's, it's just kind of an honor that they're there listening. And if they like it, great, you know, but if they don't, there's n- it doesn't change how you sound. And there's nothing you can do about if someone likes it or not. It's that, that's not the point. The point is to create the music, serve your musical colleagues the best you can, and play what you'd like to hear. I mean, it's, it's very simple. Would you, would you, and I guess to, to, to uh, oblige to your uh, medical terminology, would you say that maybe the highest level of anxiety that you had experience with that may have been with Joe Zawinul. But you know, Michael, breaking up all of a sudden. Hold on. Are you there? So I'll repeat the question. So, Michael, you know what? I, I lost. I lost about the last minute. I think. I think it may be an internet connection thing. Um, I was going to say that. Would you say, kind of using your. Uh, uh, request for some medical terminology. Maybe the, the level of anxiety for you may have peaked during your uh, maybe time with Joe Zavinal. <laughs> My level of neuroses may have peaked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that was that was a real uh, uh, machismo, uh, chest thumping, proving ground. A kind of a combination of. Of hardcore jazz bebop uh, machismo meeting uh, Zavinal's uh, Nietzschean. Uh, I don't want to say obsession, but uh, you know this oddly. Uh, Somehow, uh, even though it was Austrian, it was oddly got a Germanic <laughs> sense of, of, I don't know what. It, it was a strange combination. Uh, and and was funny because, you know, joining Weather Report, and, and, and I never put myself at the top of the list of my favorite Weather Report drummers. Um, you know, I had a fantasy of what it might be like, and and I had a, a blast doing it. I, I, I loved it. And I'm forever grateful for it. But it was it was a slightly different band than I imagined it would be when I used to fantasize. What if I ever played with Weather Report? Because I I primarily heard the band through the sort of uh, 
the keyhole or, or prism of, of the, the ways that like Eric Gravatt and Alphonse Muzan had played with the band. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of up, up to up to Mysterious Traveler. We're starting to get funky. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I you know, I liked Weather Report, but I wasn't kind of as passionately following it until I heard Heavy Weather. And then I mm-hmm. told Jocko when he played for me, I said, This is the version of the band I've been waiting for all my life. And uh, because Alex, there was a, a, a lightness to his playing, and, and um, uh, just there was a, a sparkling quality to it. And, and I can't say that I brought that into the band, but I did have a pretty good sense of swing, and, and the band was playing kind of more loudly then. It was, it, was, mm-hmm. it, had, it had gone in that direction, and so I, I guess... I either fit the bill or I, I, I made myself fit the bill. I mean, sure, I was playing with Maynard Ferguson's big band. That was a pretty loud band at the time. Sure. Um, and and uh, and I did my best to combine it with with all the things that that I love so much about uh, all the earlier recordings of Weather Report, and, and I was you know I was a huge Zavonal fan. Um, the the one thing that I that I enjoyed from having worked so much in big bands, uh, you know, I'm uh, when I get behind the wheel of, of of the drum set, as it were, uh, generally pretty confident. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Zavonal would, would 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 cast a withering gaze. Um, yeah, you know, I would try my best to to, to play the play the best drums I could for the moment. I didn't always understand. It, it was interesting because Joe would often ask for more and my initial thought, more volume or more notes or more what wasn't even more intensity. I think it was he, ultimately what he was asking for but didn't know how to ask for was more intention mm-hmm. or specificity. Um, this is what I I try to teach my students. It's all about the intention. So it's very, it's very similar to to the process of, of acting mm-hmm. and how directors speak to actors. Um, and I hear that, uh, you know, my daughter's an actress, but I also did some work scoring some theatrical pieces, and and I would hear that over and over from directors. You need to be more specific. I need. What's your intention here? What's it? And and I find that if I'm just sort of aware musically of of my intention or being specific, because it's a compositional process. That's I mean it's, that's the beauty of jazz. It's, mm-hmm. We're composing as we go along. It's it's so much fun. Um, if I'm not being specific or playing with intention, then chances are pretty good. I'm playing out of some kind of muscle habit mm-hmm. uh, or playing out of a place where I'm trying, like, uh, oh, um, gosh, Steve Gadd, Dave Weckl, Vinnie Caliuta, Simon Phillips, uh, Ryan Blade, uh, and 19 other drummers just walked into the club. Uh, I better play something kind of cool or flashy or whatever. Mm-hmm. That that would take me out of my game. That would be just like a great tennis player. Oh, 
you know, instead of paying attention to the ball, they're they're looking at the, some tennis legend that just sat down at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. So you lose the match. <laughs> how? How? Um, tell me about. I'm a huge ECM fan, a huge Manfred Eicher fan, and you did a lot of recording with Manfred. Mm. Can you give us a little insight on, on uh, to his genius? Well, part of his genius is, uh, just rests with his ears because he's got a great set of ears. Um, the other part of his genius, uh, Machiavelli, though it, though it may have been on occasion, <laughs> uh, was that if he if he sensed a comfort level, let's say a, a, a sort of creative smugness, almost, mm-hmm. he knows how to pull the rug out from under that as well as anyone, um, and. I, I, I was curious about it at first, but then it made perfect sense because I started thinking about some of my favorite old jazz albums. And you would see that they were recorded in one afternoon at, at like uh, Rudy Van Gelder's studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes these combinations of players and you could kind of figure out or intuit that um, not everyone was maybe their most comfortable in that setting for whatever reasons, the challenges, uh, the combination of players. And yet, there's there's something more revealing, more truthful, more honest about music made in that circumstance than, you know, if someone has the opportunity to spend three months on an album, let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, which is a, a legitimate and great way to make a recording as well. Uh, but, but I guess it's almost like comparing theater to a Spielberg piece, mm-hmm. and so I, I I like theater more, and and I love uh, how revealing Manfred's recordings are, not just sonically, but but somehow uh, musically. I, that, that 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 seems to be his genius to me, and and. Uh, I, I wish I could have uh, done more work with him. Uh, uh, the divide, I think, uh, occurred uh, uh, in great part because of my impatience of not wanting to wait um, to do a next project. Uh, and I, that's when I started my own little record label. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so I don't, I don't, I can't compare how, I'm sure more people have heard my work uh, well, this is before the internet, you know, on ECM recordings than, than my own label. Now, probably the most people have heard me play some, some like really fucked up concert somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, actually, um, you can't listen to uh, ECM recordings, for instance, on Spotify. I know. Um, so there's, you know, with the 30 million subscribers that they have, uh, there's a lot of people missing out on that music, and and, and the interesting thing, I, what what I find brilliant about Manfred, and I I, I believe it was intentional, and that is, uh, you can listen to an album from 30 years ago, and listen to an album that they released today, and there is a certain benchmark of quality, but also it has 
almost um, it's agnostic to the time period. Uh, and, Mike, I, I, Mike, I missed the last uh, twenty seconds. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll repeat it because uh, I want to get the the um, one of the things I love about uh, ECM and, and Manfred's style, and that is you can listen to an album from thirty years ago and listen to an album uh, that maybe they released this year. And it's agnostic to the time period, and, and it, it's often, with the exception of some albums that were released on ECM, uh, the technology uh, doesn't date it, uh, where it, you know, an album from 30 years ago sounds very, very current. There's no sounds that would make it sound as if it's from the late 70s or 80s. Gotcha. Uh, and, and that's something that I think, you know, 50 years from now, I think people will will take notice that there there wasn't a time stamp on it uh, like a lot of jazz that we especially more contemporary jazz uh, that we hear today where you can listen to a, a certain artist musician and say oh yeah that was that was recorded in the uh, early 80s mm -hmm. um, well yeah timeless yeah it's uh, a very timeless uh, most of the weather report stuff even though there are era or time specific stamps because of the the latest synth technology on it, it it's much like uh, uh, Beatles songs. You know, they're yeah. the same kind of timeless quality. Um, I, wow, it, it's, you know, my ECM experience began. Uh, uh, from the first solo piano albums that Chick, Korea, and, and Keith Jarrett made, the, the, the volume one and two of solo piano of Chicks and, and Facing You by mm -hmm. Keith. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I went on, on tour with Stan Kenton, uh, and on the road I would listen, you know, I would, I would make cassette dubs from, from the vinyl LPs. Uh, whenever we, the band would be in New Jersey, I could go to my parents' house and I'd hook up my cassette player to the to the home stereo. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would fill my suitcase every European tour with ECM albums. They they weren't so easy to find in the states back in seventy two seventy three, mm -hmm. uh, and then it seemed like it, it wasn't so hard to find them. I think Polydor began distributing them. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, I, I just I found. It, it was uh, it was inspiring. It was comforting. It was it was great comfort music for me, and I also found it very romantic, and and um, it just it just fed fed my uh, imagination in, in pleasant ways. So it was it was really fun to get to to work with him, um, and I have a great admiration uh, for Manfred. Yeah. Well, and and then I guess this is a good time to bring up. There's a ECM box set that is just coming out with your work, uh, Trio, and um, I actually got a, 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 a JPEG of the cover, and it seems to be a, a uh, this will be a collector's item, uh, because there, it's, I remember those albums, and, and they were brilliant. Oh, thank you. They were uh, a special time, and uh, now that pianist John Taylor is no longer with us uh, it's a it's a it's a good time to to listen again to how brilliant he was mm -hmm. uh, 
the four albums uh, have not been available for a while. Uh, and so this repackaging uh, of the four albums in one box set is, is very welcome. Uh, there was a uh, there was an interesting trio in that you know it's a piano trio yet it it it, it was kind of booked under my name and 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 not only at at the invitation of Manfred but when we would do touring and and I think uh, there was some notoriety that 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 my name was enjoying so we were getting some good bookings um, but I also. Uh, Assume the responsibility of not not only for booking the damn tours and hotels and all that crap, but uh, for uh, for setting some kind of of tone. And and the one thing I was trying to do was, and we used to talk about this. Uh, we did a lot of gig post mortems, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, uh, you know, we didn't need every solo didn't need to be an event. You know, as we develop our our artistic directions and skills, and we stop wrestling with the instruments so much. Uh, you know, during that process, solos are are have this arc of like like Michael Brecker used to call it, getting it in the fifth gear. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and Michael loved getting getting the solo into fifth gear. Um. And and I remember he and I used to talk about because he he would sense I didn't want to go there and he'd say I I like it to go into fifth gear and I was already even in steps I was like I don't I don't know you know I've kind of been there done that and and so by the time I I started the ECM thing I was really looking to to get this more kind of through composed improvisational thing happening uh, and. And the guys were good sports of, of following that that kind of thing. So, so I think that that's part of the charm of those albums. And of course, part of making an ECM record is that what you hear in your headphones is pretty much what the final listener will hear. So, with with that space, the reverb, it it it, it affects the choices you make playing wise. Yeah, I. I you know, I think the again the the what I remember from those records. Now I'm going to date myself, calling them records. When they came out, um, having a certain feel, a certain style, a uh, it puts you in a certain mood, um, and that was really what I've always enjoyed about ECM. In that, it's not so much a level of quality, which is certainly there. But there's a certain feel that you get when you put on those recordings that is missing in so much other music. It, you know, my my father hated those recordings from this. He, he just said, "You should be doing more drumming on these." <laughs> yeah, I I remember the, the the first tune on on the "You Never Know" album. Uh, was something we recorded near the end of the of the two days section, and John John said, "Let's try this tune of mine." And I and I'm playing through the whole thing, and I never, I don't think I ever played the bass drum once, maybe mm -hmm. once. Uh, and it goes on for a while, and and as you're playing it, you know that the song 
there's there's no there's no short way to play the tune. I mean, the tune has a shape, and 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 we took the the first take. We used the first take, which I love. In general, I love when first takes make it onto a recording that you get to share that sense of discovery. But I rem I remember thinking, you know, fuck it. Manfred's probably gonna gonna make this the first fucking tune on the album while I was playing it. <laughs> And in fact, he did. So, uh, anyway, well, the while we're on uh, projects uh -oh. that are current, um, the one of the things that I uh, kind of epitomizes what we talked about before, and that is, there's this new ECM box set out, but at the same time. You have your Dr. Um record, which I want to talk about, and you have this big band album, and then you created an app. So r rather than inundate you with a lot of questions at once, maybe let's let's talk about uh, Dr. Um, because that really brought me back to the weather report days. Well, I... Uh, again, I'm, I, I hope you're hearing me okay. I'm having a little trouble hearing you. Um, but the uh, let's see. So, Doctor Um is is a play on words, and and uh, it was uh, an opportunity and and kind of a uh, mission specific uh, uh, endeavor to go back uh, to playing. Music that had more drums, certainly way more than than the ECM albums, to kind of flex my muscles a bit and, and have fun. So, uh, it, the the quest of the album was also to it was called Doctor Um and the Lost Pages. We wanted to give music a, a first or second hearing that we felt had been denied. Uh, give a chance for some tunes to be heard. Uh, so we, we do a, a, a rarely performed Gary McFarland tune. Uh, we did a Zavala tune that, that was pretty much unknown to most listeners. Uh, we did a tune from Weather Report's final album that Jocko and I made together, uh, a song called Speechless, a, a great Zavala ballad that I'd never heard anyone else cover. Uh, you know, stuff like that. A tune of mine that, that actually got rejected from that first ECM album uh, called Hawaii Bathing Suit. Mm -hmm. And I said, eh, you know, this tune's okay. Let's 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 give it a fresh shot. Um, so that's what Doctor Rome was. Doctor Rome's really just a, a, a celebration, and it was it was a, a lot of fun to make. John Beasley was a, a wonderful co-producer. We just did a second recording, uh, and it's, I think it's even better than the first. Meanwhile, uh, this Bob Mincer big band album. Uh, is uh, uh, you know the all LA band. Mm -hmm. If anyone's heard the Buddy Rich rant tapes, they'll appreciate the uh, the the eye wink or the tip of the hat that we make to Buddy uh, with all mm -hmm. LA band. Uh, anyway, uh, you know Bob and I have known each other since my Interlochen Arts Academy days, since 1969. And we've we've worked together almost all these years. Uh, we're both professors now at USC. Um, 
and Bob agreed to collaborate with me on this new play along app mm-hmm. called Minster Big Band Essentials. You know, I, for a long time, you know, I, I started this this app company, and we have several apps out uh, play along, uh, where it's not MIDI and it's not a stupid rhythm section, but a great rhythm section, and it can function as a karaoke for other instrument players or a rhythm section player could minus the tracks mm-hmm. we have mixer built in. It's, it's for iPhone and iPad. Well, I wanted to do a, a big band app that not only where you could minus the rhythm section, but you could minus the solos, you could minus lead trumpet. Nothing so unusual there, right? Mm-hmm. So, not every trumpet player is cut out to be a lead player. What about someone that wants to get their section skills together? So we made music minus second trumpet. And we have first alto, tenor, baritone, sax, minus, first trombone, bass trombone, plus all the rhythm instruments. This is quite a thing to record. The manner and process of recording with with this amount of separation allowed us to make a big band album that just, it sounds really great. Mm -hmm. And the engineer was like, you guys got to make it, you got to put this out as a CD. So that's what we did. So the All Out LA band is the, the fruit of the work that we uh, put into creating this app, but it's for people that either don't want to bother with the app or, or don't, you know, don't have an iPhone or iPad. Uh, you can listen to it in your car or wherever you are. For, uh, for the more serious, uh, uh, I guess maybe classical or, or traditional type of musician that wants to read uh, the charts are they available too? Yeah, the charts are included in the iPhone and iPad. You can uh, print them out from your device. You can also record yourself playing along and then you know, post it social media, send it to your friends, send it to your teacher. <laughs> uh, and and what we tr- what we endeavored to do, like if a school system has you know a classroom full of iPads and they're all registered to the same account. They can all have this material uh, for just the the, the cost of, of, of the one purchase. Wow. Um, and uh, and in fact, the Big Band app is free. You get two songs, kind of like a freemium thing. You, you get the app and two songs uh, at no cost, and if you want to get more songs, there's 10 songs total. Uh, and, and, and I, I like the... Um intentional Freudian slip of the spelling of Mincer uh, for the app because it, it's very, um, I guess, text savvy. Uh, there's no reason to put an, an E in Mincer uh, because you know it's Mincer by just being M-I-N-T-Z-R. Well, Bob wasn't completely thrilled with that, but uh, <laughs> we, we did it earlier with Erskine just because of the limited... Uh, amount of space when you're creating these app icons uh-huh. and a graphic designer thought let's make the primary letters bigger and so we we kind of we kind of did the mention one just to just to keep the motif uh going i hope it doesn't confuse anyone but yeah there, there's only one mincer and there's only one bob mincer and he's I, great my kids would probably correct me and probably say you know dad it should have been just m-n-t-z-r Oh, uh, we have the I in there? Yeah. Yeah, your kids are right. <laughs> they always are. 
Well, I, I want to, uh, if, if it's okay, I was going to leave you with one story that, that I, I've told people before, because as you know, Peter, you're, you're my favorite drummer of all time. And, um, I didn't know I remember, that. Yeah, uh, you are. And, uh, I think it's, it's the love and the versatility and the, uh, you know, obviously with your history that you've told everyone today, it's, 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 it's wonderful. And, and, and to illustrate that, uh, I remember when, when Steely Dan, when Donald and Walter decided to go back on the road, oh, 25 years ago, let's say, I can't remember the year it was, I was actually on vacation in the islands uh, in St. Lucia. And I said, you know what, I'm going to cut my trip short. I forget how you and I got in contact, but I knew you were touring with them. And I said that uh, I'm going to go to the Omni in Atlanta to see this show because I had not seen Steely Dan in decades. Um, and when I got backstage, um, you know, I, I showed my, my business card and they said, Michael Fagan from Jazz Is, are you here to see Donald or Walter? And I said, I'm here to see Peter Erskine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Fantastic. Well, Peter, again, it was. Th I'm sorry it's been so long since we've connected but let's let's not uh let's not drop this ball let's keep it going okay positively and and please the next time rabbit appears on the menu you knock yourself out <laughs> <laughs> will do all right be well thanks michael all right bye-bye